you're listening to this, I can guarantee you own one of the most complex things known to man, and it didn't come with an instruction manual. Guess what it is? It's your brain. Why do I say that? Well, no wonder at times it can get the best of us, which means straight away you can cut yourself a break and stop beating yourself up that your mind's seemingly in control of you at times. With that in mind, and that wasn't meant to be a pun, by the way, let's look at what this whole well-being thing is all about. And I'll start by asking you a question, but you've got to be completely honest. If I was to say to you, what does mindfulness mean to you? What would you say? A sense of peace or complete and utter focus or to be consciously aware of the moment? All true, of course, but you know what? When I deliver this as part of a training course, you know what I often get? Mindfulness, oh, it's just for tree-hugging, incense-burning, vegan-eating, herbal tea drinkers, which I must admit is highly entertaining and I do totally get it. I can completely appreciate why these thoughts at times can spring to mind. Now, I just want to reassure you before I get into this podcast, what you're not going to get from me is a preach as to how you must get involved in mindfulness or take up yoga or meditation or anything like that. What I would encourage you to do is to find your own way and embrace what works for you. So if I was to ask you, what's the point of looking after your mind? You know, what's it even do for you? How would you answer? Clearly, of course, it's literally the thing we experience life through. All our emotions, our experiences, happiness, creativity, playfulness, you know, the joy of relationships and discovering new things, learning, nurturing, growth. It's the thing that enables us to perform at our very best. Now, obviously, you'd utterly get that. But I wonder, what's the balance between the time and energy you dedicate to, say, maintaining your physical fitness versus the commitment and focus towards activities that truly quieten your mind and give you back your sense of true self? Why do I ask this? All right, well, I'll bring this to life. And you have got to be totally honest with yourself with this, okay? Do you actively drink one and a half litres of water every single day? Do you actively go out of your way to get eight hours of sleep every single night? Do you actively go out of your way to do one hour of exercise three times a week? How about eating five fruit and veg every single day? Now, I'm for sure, for some, it's yet or 100% I do. Can't even believe you're asking me. But actually, for a great many of us, we don't. The thing is, we know what's good for us. You know, those things, we know they're good for us, but we just don't do it. So let's just take this a step further. How much fun are you to be around when you've had a lack of sleep? Now, let me add to that. What about a lack of sleep and hungry? I'll be willing to bet that you're not fun to be around at all. Now, no offence. Why is that? Well, because those things absolutely affect our mood. So, good news. You know, within the first five minutes of this podcast, you've already just identified a quick win, a simple first step to improving your mood. Eat well and get some sleep. So, let me ask you another question. What exactly is well-being? That's an interesting one, isn't it? Well-being, you know, it's finally front and centre of our world. It's been a long time coming. Its importance is shared on social media, on the news, high, highlighted by celebrities, 
and being actively embraced by corporate organisations to support their people. So what is it? What does well-being consist of? If we're to support ourselves and others, it's probably a good thing to get a handle on that. Or else, how are we going to know what to focus on? The World Health Organization actually describes it as a state of complete mental, physical and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. And while that's all well and good, it's somewhat dry and unsexy and still doesn't really get under the skin of well, what well-being actually is. So let's break it down and explore six areas that impact upon our sense of well-being. As I work my way through these, how many can you say with hand on heart, yeah, that's me? Because if you can't and you feel there's room for improvement, well, that may be a pointer to an area for personal focus. Okay, number one, self-acceptance. So what is meant by that? Having a strong sense of self-worth, being comfortable in your own skin, to, to be comfortable in taking ownership of your values and your principles. You know, you've got emotional intelligence. You're capable of respectfully standing up for yourself. And when others close to you try to persuade you to get involved with or agree to things that don't meet your values or your standards, you don't just follow the crowd. You're comfortable walking your own path while acknowledging those and respecting those of others. Number two, personal growth. Are you open to new experiences? Do you actively seek opportunities for growth, becoming bigger and better in some way, shape or form day to day? Research suggests we all actually have this intrinsic desire to feel as if we're improving regardless of whether it's giant strides or just tiny steps. So if you don't feel that you're growing, expanded, becoming bigger and better in some small way, perhaps that's an area worth exploring. Number three, purpose and meaning. So what even is purpose? Well, having a sense of purpose is essential to motivation. It's a reason for doing something. Having a sense of purpose might be you want to make the world a more forgiving and inclusive place. And with that clarity comes decisions to do stuff and the actions required. Just imagine there's an asteroid hurtling towards Earth destined to impact in a year's time. What would you want to do in those 12 months? That would be your sense of purpose. So what about meaning then? What is it? How do we, how do we know if we're experiencing it? Well, a sense of meaning might be best described as in what moments do you feel completely and utterly in the zone? Identify that and you found your experience of meaning. Now, the fourth one is environment. So it's got absolutely nothing to do with climate. Environment is the place that you find yourself, be it your workplace or at home. And the well-being element attached to the environment is that you've got a sense of control within those circumstances. So you can make changes should you wish to. Number five, autonomy. Let me ask you a question. Do you at times like to be able to do what you like, when you like, however you like? Now, to be honest, I actually already know the answer to that because author Daniel Pink has already identified autonomy as a universal human trait for motivation. So you absolutely do like that thing, guaranteed. So what changes can you make to experience it more often? Number six, positive relationships. So that's surrounding yourself with a network of people in your world that you can trust, that are supportive and provide a sense of connection and intimacy for you. So, there you go, that's all six covered. Where's the area of focus for you? Why is it important to you that you make those changes? And 
How do you see those changes, should you make them, impact upon your world in, say, six months' time? Okay, let's just take this one step further and think about experiences that each and every one of us has day to day. It can be hugely reassuring to discover those things that impact upon us and trouble us from time to time are not unique. Life isn't picking on you. (laughs) We all do this. So as human beings, we tend to be what's called future focused. What do I mean? Well, even today, I'd be willing to bet that at some point, You've been thinking about what you're going to be doing or have to do later on today or this evening or tonight. That thinking has probably also extended into what you're going to be doing at the weekend or next week, even your tentative plans for the coming months. And you've been doing a form of this all your life. We think about what school we're going to go to, what exams we're going to take, what job we want, what's next for our career. We are continually looking forward. Now, I'm not suggesting, by the way, that planning, scheduling and organising aren't important things. No, clearly they are. Now, it would be amiss of me not to highlight the past. Obviously, for some people, their past experiences are of great significance with perhaps you know, intense emotional impact. And if that's you, obviously, I'd encourage you to gain professional help. However, the thing with the past is it's exactly that. It no longer exists. It's simply a narrative that's playing over and over in our minds. So let me bring this to life with an example. I'd be willing to bet you've been for a job interview or a date or maybe met a key stakeholder or client. And on your journey home, you've replayed that conversation over and over again, thinking to yourself, why did I say this? Or why didn't I say that? It's a troubling hour or so of overthinking. But come the next morning, our busy lives take over. We get past our minor emotional discomfort and we move on. Why then is any of this important? Well, let's return to our future focus. Take a moment now, if you think about some of the things that are causing you feelings of anxiety and stress in your life, how many of those things are actually happening right now as you're listening to this? Probably not many. A great deal of our mental turmoil is based upon our future focus, worrying about stuff that's not actually happening right here, right now. It's filling our minds with the what-ifs. So how do we prevent our minds from doing this? Well, here's where you get someone really annoying like me turn around to you and say, well, you know what you need to do? Live for the moment and put things into perspective. And yeah, sure, you know, that's all well and good, but it's a bloody hard thing to do at times. Luckily, psychologist Martin Selgman created some great questions that can support our thinking. So the first one is, what's the worst that can happen? What's the one thing that you can do to help stop the worst from happening? What's the best that can happen? What's the one thing you can do to make the best thing happen? What's the most likely thing that will happen? And what can you do to handle the most likely thing if indeed it happens? But let's get real. Who at times when life's getting you down sometimes reaches out for a little retail therapy to ease the pain? Just something to lift you up, create a little happiness in your life. You know, you deserve it, right? Now, seriously, I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip here. Uh, You know, what's not to like about going to decent restaurants, having wonderful holidays and buying the latest gadgets? Now, I'd imagine if I was to ask you, do you like being happy? You'd probably think it's a ridiculous question. Of course you do. So let's explore happiness, because you may be surprised to learn that it's not necessarily happiness that's the thing to strive for. Think about it. What is happiness? Happiness is just an emotion. It's transient. You have ups and downs. That's just life. 
But happiness isn't a permanent thing. Contentment, however, a general overall feeling of satisfaction, now that's something to work towards. The thing is, when we experience emotional pain, so dissatisfaction with something in our lives, what do we do? We seek comfort in the buying of things or perhaps look to change our jobs because that'll give us more money. Thing is, there'll always be another job. There'll always be another gadget. It's literally a never-ending cycle. So what happens is you experience emotional pain. I can't live without that latest mobile phone. You go and buy it. It makes you feel pretty good in the moment. Then, over time, you get bored with that thing. And guess what happens? More emotional pain. So we begin the whole process again. I'll bring this to life. Think about that thing you were really excited about purchasing, perhaps a, a year, 18 months ago. I'd be willing to bet when you think about it right now, it doesn't fill you with quite the same level of excitement that it once did. Therein lies the rub. These things we reach out for because we feel they're going to bring us happiness, they don't, at least not for long periods of time. Now, before you think I'm a complete killjoy, I'm not suggesting for one moment you shouldn't have aspirations or enjoy the finer things in life. What I'm highlighting here is that lasting happiness has a great deal to do with gratitude appreciating those things you've been blessed with. Good health, supportive family, secure job, a reliable car, the fact you can have food delivered to your door, a warm shower, enjoy central heating, food on your plate, a roof over your head, a garden to relax in, your pet who loves you, free health care, a caring community. You know, the list of what you can be grateful for literally goes on and on. So let's build on this and explore further other themes that are relevant to absolutely all of us. So we've all got a primal urge to feel safe, secure and in control. And everyone suffers from two basic fears, the fear of abandonment and the fear of overwhelm. Now, I appreciate from a work-based perspective, abandonment probably isn't language you'd use. So how about unsupported? Abandonment leads to feelings of anxiety, overwhelm to feelings of stress and uh, that sense of, oh my God, I can't cope. So what even is stress? We hear it mentioned everywhere, all the time, so where's it come from? Stress is when we feel threatened and we believe that we're not able to meet what we perceive as a threat. It comes from two distinct areas, external stress and internal stress. External stress, for example, could be an event. You've just heard an announcement within your workplace that there's going to be redundancies, so there's potential job insecurity giving you some sleepless nights, or... It could be a situation happening around you. For example, you've been tasked with delivering a presentation to a key stakeholder or an important client and public speaking isn't your thing. And then there's other people. You know, there's no getting away from them. Perhaps there's people around you that you find obnoxious, abrasive or confrontational. And then, of course, we've got internal stresses. So our beliefs, our thoughts and our feelings, more of which we'll explore later in this podcast. But of course, stress in moderation is good for us. We know we need stress, or if you prefer, a feeling of being stretched to perform at our best. Obviously, we don't want to be subjected to high levels of stress 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year. However, staying in your comfort zone isn't where the magic happens either. So it's fair to say, if you're not pushing yourself in some area of your life, you're probably not growing, expanding, or becoming bigger and better, as I mentioned earlier. And, you know, if you're not doing that, you're not getting to enjoy that feeling of personal growth. So feeling stretched at times is a great thing. That said, being in the stretch zone, while great, is ideally only for appropriate periods of time. If we remain in the stretch zone, we'll find we enter the strain zone. And when that happens, well, 
life has a habit of catching up with us. And if we don't identify what's going on in our worlds and address it, then we get like a pew sense of overwhelm and we're forced to make changes. Now, before we move on, let me just go back to the comfort zone because it definitely gets a bad rap at times. And I think it's got a hugely important message for us. To bring this to life, however, you're going to need to work with me a little bit, okay? Because I need to create a scenario and it's a bit of a strange one. First of all, have a think about you in your comfort zone. So if possible, think about it from a work perspective. Now, I want you to big yourself up here. What I mean by that is think of those things you're responsible for that others may consider to be difficult, challenging or complicated. But secretly between you and I, they're a walk in the park. You could do them with your eyes shut. Okay, now, I'm assuming you've pictured that. So, just imagine I was to wave a magic wand and you were to go back in time and discover yourself standing in front of your 15-year-old self. You then turned around to your 15-year-old self and said, tomorrow, you're going to be doing all these things. These things being you at work in your comfort zone. How would your 15-year-old self respond? Now, I'd be willing to bet they'd probably experience a sudden onset of panic, overwhelm, and be shaking in their boots. Thing is, though, you've just admitted that those things are all a walk in the park for you. So what's this telling us? It means those things you've got coming up, those things you're thinking about in the future, causing you anxiety and worry, guess what? Even though they may feel as if they're in your stretch zone right now, one day they'll be in your comfort zone. You've coped in the past and you'll cope in the future. You're living proof of that. It's a really powerful message your comfort zone has to share and hopefully provides a small sense of reassurance. Let's continue on our journey of identifying other psychological experiences universal for all of us. We tell ourselves stories. So what do I mean by that? Well, when stuff happens in your life, it's just stuff that happens. It doesn't mean anything at all. The only time stuff going on around you means anything is when you give it meaning. For example, you could be stuck in a traffic jam. Perhaps you were driving along, you were hoping to get to some place at a particular time, but here you are stuck in a jam. And that's all it is. You're in a car with loads and loads of other cars all together in a long line, not moving. That's the reality of the situation. However, your internal dialogue starts to create meaning. So perhaps you get cross and angry because you're going to be late for wherever it is you're heading or you get frustrated that the traffic doesn't appear to be moving because some idiot can't drive properly and has probably had an accident and delayed me. Which is, of course, a completely made-up story as you've no idea what's happened up ahead. But now you're allowing your thoughts to run wild, which in turn adds even greater emotional turmoil. Alternatively, of course, you're capable of applying an entirely different narrative to your situation, one of calm peace and composure. You know, that might sound like, great, what a lovely opportunity to just sit here, chill and relax, or perhaps have a conversation or listen to music, a podcast, whatever. You're completely in control of that and how you view your made up scenario. I do totally get it. It can be super hard. And I'm not suggesting for one moment that it's an easy thing to do. But what if I said you can literally change your thinking in a heartbeat? How would you respond? If you're thinking to yourself, don't be utterly ridiculous, not in a million years, I'll give you an example. Just imagine you're driving to the supermarket and as you pull into the car park, amazing, there's a space right outside the entrance. So being the health and safety conscious person you are, you swing around to prepare to reverse in. 
And in that moment, somebody else drives in and parks right in the space you're about to reverse into. Is it reasonable to suggest that in that moment, you're probably not best pleased? So for the purposes of this story, I'm going to go over the top and imagine you're actually fuming. So you jump out of your car, walk over, bang on their window and start to let them know exactly what you think about them. And in that moment, they jump out of the car, turn to you and say, I am so sorry. My partner's gone into labour right here at the entrance. I need to get in there as soon as possible. Is it fair to say that in that moment, you'd go from being incredibly cross and angry to supportive, empathising and asking how you can help? If your answer is yes, you've just demonstrated to yourself you can literally change your thinking in the blink of an eye. Again, I'm not suggesting it's easy. What I am suggesting is you absolutely 100% can do it. You've literally just proved it to yourself. And that leads us nicely onto our beliefs. Do you believe you can control your thinking that easily or not? So let's just expand upon that a little bit. Another question for you. What is a belief? Where do they come from? You know you've got them, but how are they formed? In simple terms, they're our brain's way of making sense of our worlds. Beliefs can be broken into three key areas. Opinions, beliefs and convictions. For example, you may have the opinion that since I'm a celebrity, get me out of here has been filmed in Wales, it sucked. However, one of your friends thinks it's so much better now it's been based in Wales and they shouldn't go back to filming in Australia. Now, neither of you have massive emotional attachment to the thoughts. It's just an opinion. You know, you could be easily swayed by, you know, one way or the other. So I suppose you could class an opinion as simply a lightweight belief. Next up, you've got beliefs. So beliefs are formed through personal experiences, your conditioning from your parents, your culture, your friends. Your beliefs provide you with a strong sense of certainty. They help you feel as if you're presenting a consistent self-image. Thing is, what we're not always aware of is your beliefs may not always be your beliefs. You may well be living somebody else's beliefs. Why is this important? Okay, here's a real life story. I'm an asthmatic. My mother was anti-steroids. I had childhood asthma and didn't take my inhaler that would prevent asthma attacks because my mum from an early age had planted the seed in my head that steroids weren't a good thing. Uh, my asthma was stress related. And as I entered adult life and found myself under pressure, I'd have repeated significant and sudden asthma attacks. I finally got to the point where my additional responsibilities, like having children, forced me to rethink my priorities. I began taking the drug. Guess what? I haven't had an asthma attack in over 17 years. So how do we identify our limiting and at times distorted beliefs? Well, that's where coaching comes into play. Coaching can help us get past our limiting beliefs through the asking of powerful questions. So, whose beliefs are you living? Okay, the third and final element to beliefs is convictions. Convictions are exceedingly strongly held beliefs. Those with strongly held convictions attach great emotional intensity to those beliefs, so they can be highly resistant to questioning from where a particular belief came from. You'll find language used by those with strong convictions sounds like it should be done this way and it must be done that way. Now, there are positives too. Obviously, someone with a conviction can be very determined and get things done no matter what. On the flip side, though, there's rigidity and sort of tunnel vision. So what beliefs have you got that you unquestionably follow and never question? Food for thought.
Now, what we've also got is something very closely linked to our beliefs, and that's what's called our rules. Those things you consider to be the right way of doing things. I'll bring this to life and try to make it humorous. For example, you might have a rule that says after a shower, a wet towel never gets left on the bed, or the toilet seat has to go down after it's used, or perhaps you have a rule that says the dishwasher must be started before everyone goes to bed. Thing is, when someone breaks your rule, that's typically when arguments start. Will the world keep turning if you were to let go of some of your rules? The answer is probably yes. The quick solution? Communicate. Let others know what your rules are. Here's why that may be time well spent. Our rules can have a huge impact upon our relationships. For example, if your rule is, when I buy you flowers, it means I love you, but your partner's rule is, when someone makes the bed for me, I feel loved, you can see why, even when you're doing what you consider to be a nice thing, its impact upon your partner may not have the same emotional significance. Don't get me wrong, some rules are actually good. They create structure in our lives. So you may have a rule that says, I'll always be there for my children to pick them up at 3.30 from school. So what rules can you let go of? Or would at least be perhaps wise to share with others? I'll leave you with this. When it comes to well-being, having a philosophy and psychology that truly empowers you is a really positive foundation. So ask yourself these questions. Are you a realistic optimist? Do you appreciate life isn't all rainbows and lollipops, that life won't always offer what you want? You know, you will have knockbacks and tough times. But despite this, are you still able to maintain a positive and balanced outlook? How do you handle failure? Do you learn from those things that don't quite work out? But when life challenges you, are you able to make choices and take actions without going over the top emotionally? And we covered this one earlier. Do you live your life according to your own values, not allow others' views and opinions to sway you? And what about your self-worth? Are you able to hold true to your convictions? You know, stand true to those things that define you? And finally, are you clear on what's important to you? And can you look yourself in the mirror and say that with honesty? That's it. We're all done. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. I've got a ton of other podcasts on my website as well, so feel free to check those out. If you're into your personal and professional development, you're going to find something that'll help you out. I'll see you on the next one. Cheers. Cheers.